So I want to just explain this menu to you. We are, has anyone ever seen the, uh, the program Come Dine With Me? It's trashy television that me and my wife watch together. I'm sure that some of you, you've got your own versions of trashy television that you watch. This is one of ours that we watch, Come Dine With Me. But seriously, this, this series is coming out, not out of, oh, wouldn't that be all creative and let's do all this funky stuff and make bread, which we have done for you this morning and any of that. But this series came out of uh, genuine prayer and reflection from the elders and the staff where we were thinking about, in September, we were thinking and praying about the church and where the church is going and where the church is at. And the, the thing that emerged more than anything else was this whole issue of spiritual hunger. And we really felt God said to us, that if you haven't got spiritual hunger, you haven't got anything. So you can have all this other stuff, but if you're not hungry for God and the things of God, then you haven't got anything. And so in the lead up to Christmas, which is going to be so consumed, isn't it, with you know, the, the, the hunger of food and presence and all that kind of stuff, all that insatiable stuff... We, we felt this was right to go into a five-week series. So what you're going to get every week, not sure whether you'll get James Bond every week on the door there, but um, Dave Jones in a tuxedo anyway. Not really James Bond, is it really? That's stretching it. But, but you're going to get a menu. So <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Just checking you're still with me. It's beautiful. Daniel Craig is not, but he's, you know, look great. So first course, which is the course that I'm serving this morning, is bread, hunger for Jesus. Next week, Simon is going to be looking at, um, Simon Wood was going to be looking at meat, a hunger for the miraculous. Then Dan's going to look at fish, a hunger for fellowship. These are all stories out of the Bible around food. And then Laura Hancock's going to look at wine, a hunger for transformation, because it is in the Bible, water into wine. The evangelical church then tries to turn it back again into water, doesn't it? But that's what it really is. And then the final course that I'm looking at is fruit, a hunger for beyond, looking at eternity and legacy. Then if you look over on the back, you've got life group notes. And uh, they are the four W's, but funked up a little bit, okay? So instead of the welcome, we've got an appetizer. Instead of the words and the worship, we've got a main course. And instead of the works, we've got a dessert, and the dessert there is opportunities for you to invite people who are not yet Christians to, up to events. The comedy night, the carol concert. And then at the end of this series, after the 10th of December, we would love for you as a life group to have a meal together with your life group and invite other people to it who are not yet Christians. Wouldn't that be awesome? If at the end of this series where we're looking at spiritual hunger, wouldn't it be great to have a meal as a life group and invite people who are not yet Christians? At the bottom of that... Every week, you're going to get five a day from us, all right? And uh, that's not five meat pies or five donuts. You know, that's reference to fruit and vegetables. Okay, five a day. Apparently, that's going to make you healthy, depending on what country you are. Some countries, it's six, seven, eight, or nine. But Britain, we go for the lowest one, and we're at least five. And basically, what that is, is to try and encourage you to spend five minutes a day with God. Now, you spend 24 hours a day with God, but I mean focused time where your attention is on God. You might think, oh, that's not very much. Do you know what? That's more than the average Christian spends. If we could spend five minutes a day with God every day, I believe that our spiritual hunger would grow and grow. So what we're going to do there is, so this week I've said, take a chapter from the book of John. That's the, chap- that's the book we're going to look at in a moment. And just spend five minutes, pray before you read the chapter, read the chapter, and then ask God to speak to you and listen to what he says. If you do that, Every day, okay, for five minutes or more, your spiritual life will begin to grow. I really believe that. So that's what that's about. Is that okay? So you need to take that with you. Next week, you'll get another one, and it will be the second course, meet, and with the notes and the five a day on the back. Fantastic. So, got a question for you. What makes you hungry? What food is it 
that really gets your juices flowing? Anyone want to say something? What food, when you look at it or you smell it, makes you really hungry? Anyone? Chips. Bread is a good answer. Thank you, Blue. Primed. Anyone else? Steak. Anyone else? Speak to me. Curry. Yeah, you were going to say that, didn't I, at the back, yeah? We had kebab at the nine o'clock. It's one of the worship leaders. That's the musicians, isn't it? Kebabs late at night. So I don't know what food it is that makes you hungry. There are actually five basic types of hunger. There is habit hunger, where we're hungry because we eat at the same time. Connected to that is mind hunger, where we get to a certain time and our mind says, I ought to be hungry. Any, ever, ever done that? It's lunchtime. You might not be hungry, but your mind tells you that you ought to be hungry. The third kind of hunger is the one that I suffer from, which is taste hunger. And taste hunger works like this. So I'll give you an up-to-date example. We're at a friend's, uh, some friend's house a, a week or so ago for a meal, and they're great cooks, and they cooked us this fa- fantastic meal. I ate the meal, and I was full. And then they said, would you like some more? My wife gave me the wife look. You know the look? Which says, you don't need any more. You're already full. Of course, I said, yes, and I had some more. And then, of course, you eat dessert, and then you have other stuff. And then afterwards, I always say, to them, oh, I shouldn't have done that. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You see, you're not hungry, but there's a taste hunger. You don't want any more, but you do want some more, so you eat more. And then there's stomach hunger, which is when your stomach is empty and your stomach needs food. Then there's the other type of hunger, which is called body hunger. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, perhaps you've done a marathon or you've done something exerting, and your whole body literally is hungry and crying out for food. But you know, there's also another type of hunger And it's called spiritual hunger. And in the book of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gathers a load of people on a hillside and begins to teach them about what life in the kingdom of God is like. And one of the phrases he says is this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Spiritual. Jesus uses natural, physical words, hunger, to talk about spiritual realities. Now what might be the signs that someone is spiritually hungry? And in the week, I test, drive, test drove this uh, talk on the staff in Staff Devotions and got them to help me to put it together, really. They, I think they did know that's what I was doing. So some of this stuff is from them. And I asked them, what do you think are the signs that someone is spiritually hungry? And this is some of the things they said. This is the good stuff, anyway. We've left the other stuff. No, I'm joking. One of the things they said was holy discontentment. Anyone ever felt like that spiritually? Like a frustration And you think, there must be more to my spiritual life than this. That's a sign of hunger. A willingness to feed yourself. Not just feed me, but I want to feed myself. That's a sign that you're spiritually hungry. A desperation for more of God in your life. A sense that you've come to the end of your own resources and you come to a point where you think, it's got to be you, God. Anyone ever felt like that? It's got to be you, God. You know, I can do this and I can do that, but I'm still empty. It's got to be you. If you're spiritually hungry, you're prepared to change or to risk or to innovate or to push through. Your faith is not passive or reactive, but it's active and proactive. You have an insatiable desire to grow and to learn and to experience. You build your life on the eternal and you squeeze in the temporary, not the other way around. See, when you're not spiritually hungry, you build your life on the temporary and you squeeze in the eternal. But when you're spiritually hungry, you build your life on the eternal and you squeeze the rest of the stuff into that. And when I was 
researching this, and I, I read a commentary on the book of John, because we're going to go there in a moment. And one of his commentators uh, said this, and I want to read it to you. It's just fascinating me, this. And he said this, In the years just after AD 60, the luxury of Roman society was unparalleled. It was at this time that they served feasts, listen to this, of peacock's brains and nightingale's tongues. Anyone feel hungry from the sound of that? And they cultivated the odd habit of taking emetics between courses. In other words, they took stuff to make them throw up so that the next course would taste even better. The meals cost thousands of pounds in our terms. And it was at this time that Pliny the historian tells of a Roman lady who was married in a robe so richly jeweled and gilded it cost the equivalent of half a million pounds. There was a reason for all this and the reason was a deep dissatisfaction with life. A hunger that nothing could satisfy. And then listen to this because this has totally gripped me, this phrase. They would try anything for a new thrill because they were both appallingly rich and appallingly hungry. Isn't that interesting? That was Roman culture 2,000 years ago. Do you know what? That is a description of our culture right now. We as a culture are both appallingly rich and appallingly hungry. And we would try anything for a new thrill. And the reason is because we've got a hunger within us that can only be satisfied in God. And you might think, oh, well, that's obvious. But is it? Or how many of us as believers still try and satisfy that hunger with other stuff that's not God? What are some of the things that we do to try and satisfy that hunger? Well, let me give you a few examples. One of the things we do is we fill our lives with stuff, don't we? We fill our lives with stuff. If we just have more gadgets, if we just have more stuff and more clothes and more records and more DVDs and more stuff, then the hunger inside of us will be satisfied. Listen, we're approaching Christmas. Can I pastorally and lovingly encourage you do not be an idiot at Christmas that was that pastoral enough and sensitive enough do not be ridiculously stupid with the amount of presents that you buy most of us buy presents that people don't need with money that we don't have for people that we don't really like And we do that and we think this is the season of goodwill and peace and all this. And we just get caught up in that ridiculous buying of stuff and of junk. One of the other things that we do to mask, if you like, to feed that hunger and it never works, is that we keep ourselves busy. We do lots of things in order to satisfy the hunger that's within us. And also I think we look in the wrong fridges. You see, we open the fridge to feed ourselves and it's the wrong fridge. So we look in the fridges of alcohol and sex and relationships and friendship and entertainment and pleasure. There's nothing wrong with that stuff in its right place. But that is not, that is not what is going to satisfy the hunger deep within you. You know, if you're looking for love, it is insanity to run from God if you're looking for love. Do you know that? We're all hungry for love. So why do we run from the one who the Bible says, God is love? And we run from the one who can satisfy the hunger that we have. It's insanity. It's crazy. What I want to do this morning is I want you to turn, if if you've got your Bible, and can I encourage you to be hungry for this book, to bring your Bibles with you, you know. Uh, When you come on a Sunday, we will be using the Bible all the time. And we want to look, I want to go a little bit old school with you this morning if we can. And we're going to just exegete, which is a very posh word, for just walk through John chapter 6 
from verse 25 onwards, I really need to get some glasses. This is getting ridiculous now. At the nine o'clock service, I was going like that to try and get the light to shine really. I must have looked really weird. So now you know. You are still there, aren't you? I can't see any of you. <laughs> no, I'm joking. So, so let, let me read this through you and just pull out a few thoughts. When they found him, this is John 6, 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Background is at the beginning of this chapter, there's the multitude sitting down and, G- and they're hungry. And Jesus feeds them with what? The bread, with loaves and fish. 5,000 men, probably fifteen to 20,000 people. And he fed them. And then the disciples move off and they go on a boat over a river and they move off into another place. And the crowd finds them, begins to follow them. So the crowd then are following Jesus. Okay, And he turns to them and says, you're only following me because you had your fill. You are only following me because I fed you with bread and fish. Of course, none of us would ever do that, would we? That's what he's saying. He says, you are only following me because of what I gave you. See, my hand gave you that. You're only following me because of my hand. You're not pursuing me because of my heart. You're only following me because you had your fill. And and then then he opens it up and he says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. In ancient times, authenticity was not your signature, it was the seal. And he says, God has given the seal of approval on me and I give eternal food that doesn't spoil. But you're so preoccupied with the temporary stuff, with the earthly stuff, with the stuff that satisfies your bellies. It's quite hard teaching as we're going to find out. So then they asked him, well, well then what must we do to do the works God requires? You know, we, we want to be hungry for you, so what must we do? Isn't that interesting? What must we do? <laughs> that, you see, that's what we think. We've got to do something. You know, we've got to do something. If we're hungry, we have to do. We have to be busy. We have to do. What must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, he didn't say do at all. The work of God is this, to believe. Don't do, just believe in the one who he has sent. And that word believe doesn't just mean mental assent. It means a passionate engagement. It means I believe, I actively, in my faith, pursue you, put my trust and my hope in you. It's not what I do, it's in how I am with you, in my relationship with you. So then they asked him, so what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? So in other words, what must we do? Don't do anything, just believe. Okay, what must you do? See, the answer to always is someone's got to do something. That's just how we, how we are as human beings. To satisfy our hunger, we have to do something. And if I don't do something, then you've got to do something. And Jesus is saying, all you've got to do is enter into a relationship with me. Put your trust in me. You don't have to do anything. What you do will come out of your relationship with me. And then they say, so what will you do? <laughs> Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. This is a reference to the story in their history of when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and God miraculously supplied manna to them every day for 39 years. Incredibly enough, they're saying Moses gave us the manna. And Jesus says, can I just correct you? It was God that gave you the manna, not Moses. And you need to know this, guys. When you eat your food lunchtime, all right, and I'm sure many of you will, it isn't Asda that provided it. You do know that, don't you? And some of you say, I shop at Sainsbury's. That's not the point, all right? What I'm saying is that God is the provider of the food, isn't it? 
and the, the, the vehicles that he uses are Asda and all the rest of it. And that's what, God is, that's what Jesus is saying here. He's beginning to challenge them about their preoccupation with the hand of God rather than the heart of God. Then Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, what Jesus is saying is that, listen, you're preoccupied with the bread that comes from God, and here in front of you is the bread of God. Question, are you hungry for the things that God gives you, or are you hungry for God himself? Are you really hungry for the hand of Jesus Or are you hungry for the heart of Jesus? Is our pursuit of God all about what God can give us? Or actually, is it pursuit of who He really is? Just turn with me to Matthew 16. Another very famous and important passage of the Bible. I'm so famous and please, if you've never heard of it before, don't don't feel condemned. I probably shouldn't have said that. But a lot of us would know this. And it says in Matthew 16, verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say, the Son of Man, which is a term for Jesus, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked. This most important question, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's interesting. Some of the, they used John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the new current move of God. That's who John the Baptist was. And many people, that's who their Jesus is. What's new? What's exciting? What's the current move of God? That's my Jesus. Others said, Elijah. Well, Elijah stands in Israel's history for their heritage and their past and their tradition. Some people, that's who Jesus is to them. It's their heritage and it's the tradition. I'm a Christian because I've always been a Christian. I'm a Christian because my mom and dad are a Christian. I'm a Christian because I'm British. That's who Jesus is to them. And others, Jeremiah was the prophet that was concerned about the future. That's who Jesus is to some people. He's the one that will see the future and the hope and the security for the future. But Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And let me just put up a few images to, 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 to rattle your mind a little bit. Is your Jesus a 999 Jesus? A Jesus that you only call when you're in crisis? Is your Jesus a microwave Jesus? One that you want, to, God, you could do this quickly for me and instantly for me and right away now and ping and I'm done. Or is your Jesus a chocolate cake Jesus? I like a yummy Jesus. And don't give me any hardships. Just give me something nice and sweet and comforting. Is that who your Jesus is? And Peter looked at him and said, no, 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 no. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Who's your Jesus today? Are you hungry for Jesus, the son of the living God? Or are you hungry? Are you following him just because he can give you your fill? Just because he might meet your need? What about if he doesn't meet your need or your want? Will you still follow him then? And interestingly enough, if we go back to John chapter 6, Jesus in verse 35 talks about the bread of life. And here's some bread that I prepared earlier. Well, I didn't, but uh, somebody did. And um, yes, it's gonna, you thought it was going to burn me then, didn't you? But it, and this is fresh bread that we have made and I'll tell you what, it was cooking in the office in there. When we were out there praying, none of us wanted to come in here to the service because the smell was absolutely amazing. But there's something really powerful 
about the image of bread that Jesus uses. You see, bread is universal. It doesn't belong to any nation or tribe, does it? Like rice or pasta or those kind of things. Bread is universal. You can go anywhere in the world and you will see bread. Bread is cross all the barriers. Rich people eat bread and poor people eat bread. Bread is adaptable. It comes in many different shapes and sizes and forms. A tortilla or a taco. Or, there's all kinds of varieties of this thing called bread. And, and Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The staple diet of life. And then what he does, interestingly enough, is that he begins to ratchet the teaching up in John chapter 6. And he begins to really challenge them about whether they are hungry for him or whether they are hungry for the things that he can give them. And the Bible says that in verse 41, at this the Jews began to grumble. Then he, he ratchets it up even more and then in verse 52 it says, then the Jews began to argue. And then he pushes it even further by saying, actually, you need to eat this flesh, you need to drink this blood. And that's not cannibalism. What he's saying is that in a relationship with Jesus, it's not about what you know, it's about how you engage with him. It's not about keeping it external, it's about taking it internal. So let me like, does anybody like Shakespeare here? Anyone like Shakespeare? All three of us, cultured people. Well, if you can imagine that this was a book of Shakespeare's works, okay, and you've got it on your shelf, you might, if I said, do you know Shakespeare? You'd say yes, because you know where the book is on your shelf. But you really only know Shakespeare when you take the book off, when you open it and you begin to read it, and then it begins to become a part of you. It's exactly the same in your relationship with Jesus. How many of you know Jesus? Yes, you know, because you know where the book is on the shelf. Or do you take it off and do you actually begin to engage in a relationship with him? And as Jesus teaches all the way through, the Bible says that they go from grumbling to arguing and then they quit. In verse 60, on hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? From this time, many of his disciples turned back, verse 66, and no longer followed him. Do you know, it's really heartbreaking to me. When I know people who were really passionately following Jesus and then over a period of time, Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do. And through disappointment and through disillusionment, eventually they stop following. They go from grumbling to arguing to quitting. I know it. I understand it. It breaks my heart when it happens. Somewhere along the process, we have to stop and say, am I following Jesus for who he is or for what he can do for me? Because then they said to, 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 he turned around to the disciples, there was just the 12 left. And he said, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12, verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, who else, who else is going to give us bread? Who else is going to satisfy the deep hunger in our hearts? Where else are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you today as we start this series on hunger to really ask yourself, are you hungry for the heart of Jesus or are you just obsessed with the hand? Are you hungry for his stuff or are you hungry for him? Is your relationship with Jesus defined by what he does for you or is it defined by that confession of Peter that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God? I want to give you five hallmarks of what it means, I think, to be spiritually hungry and then we're going to break open that bread and we're going to eat it and we're going to take communion together let me give you five quick hallmarks if you're spiritually hungry you will want number one you will want to care about what Jesus cares about 
Bob Pierce, the, the, the founder of World Vision, once said this, let, God, always let my heart be broken by what breaks your heart. If you are hungry, spiritually hungry, you will always care about what Jesus cares about. Number two, you will always want to do what pleases Jesus. My most quoted verse of the year, John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Not because you have to, but because you want to. If you're spiritually hungry, you don't want to see, can I get away with this? What's the do minimum? You'll want to do what Jesus wants you to do because you love him. And spiritually hungry people want to please Jesus. But the third thing is that you'll want to grow in your relationship with Jesus and you'll take responsibility for that. You won't blame circumstances, you won't blame other people and you won't blame the church. You'll take responsibility for your own spiritual growth. So I need, um, if you four guys, if you, if Joe, Ant and Luke and Paul, would you come and join me along the front? Just a little ripple of applause for these four willing volunteers. You'd move further down, mate. So I want you to imagine that these, there's a lot of research that's been done over the last 10 years across churches in the Western world, which has come up with a whole load of really interesting uh, data and information. And basically, the research says that there are four types of people often in our churches. And uh, I'm not trying to put everyone in a box, but this is just a generalization of where, of where we can be. The first type, if you like, over here, is exploring Christianity. And that may be some of you this morning. You're really new to this and you're exploring Christianity. You kind of believe in God. You're not sure about Jesus. You know, you come to some stuff. You're open. You pray occasionally. You know, you try and read your Bible a bit. And you're exploring Christianity. That is absolutely awesome and fantastic. The second group is growing in Christ. Joe Ridgely is growing in Christ. You're a Christian. You've committed your life. You have, haven't you? You can do it this morning, even now. You've committed your life to Christ. You believe in Jesus and you're working on what does it mean to know him. So you're going to come to church, you're going to get involved, you're going to pray and read your Bible time, you're growing in Christ. For Anthony here, he's, this represents close to Christ. It represents people who are not just growing Christ, but they're close to Christ. They feel close to him, they depend on him daily for guidance, they bring him into different areas of their life. And you know, and they're, and they're involved and they're, they're serving and they're involved and, and, and they're close to Christ. You know, that's where many of us would say that we stop. But actually, there's another, if you like, category. And this here, Luke represents Christ-centered. And this is a whole different deal. This is, this is now where everything in your life is oriented around your relationship with Jesus. This is Christ-centered. And actually, what this research says is that what happens is that as you go through this continuum, several things begin to change. One of the things that begins to change is this. The lower down you are, that's not a value thing at all, but the, 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 at the beginning here, the church, as in the gathered church, and what they do, the church does centrally, is really important and critical to you in these stages. But as you move through this, what the church centrally does has to become less important because it's more about you taking responsibility for your own jolly spiritual life. And it's not about, oh, the church don't feed me. And it doesn't go deep enough. Because actually, if you're this end, if you're saying that stuff, you're probably more that end than you realise. But when we become spiritually mature, when we become Christ-centred, we don't blame other people for our lack of food because we feed ourselves, is what the Bible says. Bill Johnson, is a leader in America, he said this, the hungry listen to learn, the satisfied listen to critique. I wonder which one you are this morning. The hungry listen to learn. 
When you're Christ-centered, when you're close to Christ, you are hungry. When you're here, you're hungry, but you're listening to learn, not to critique. The other thing that happens when you move through this continuum is that you begin to serve more the further you go down this track. If you're this end and you're not serving, you're probably not this end. Because as you move down this continuum to be closer to Christ, your life is oriented not around your busyness and around your preferences, but it's oriented around who Christ is. And can I tell you the other thing? That when you serve up this end, it's much more, it's much less about you and how it makes you feel. It's much more about other people. And when you're this end, you're passionately looking for other people that you can mentor and pour your life into. If you're this end and you don't have other people that you're pouring your life into, you're probably not this end. I don't want to be hard this morning, but I want to say this can really help set some of us free. Because what happens as you move through this continuum is that in between here and here, or in between here and here, or in between here and here, we get stuck, don't we? We store. We get stuck in that place. The challenge for us, if we're spiritually hungry, thank you guys, you can go, thanks. The challenge for us, if we're spiritually hungry, is not to get stuck in a place, but to keep moving through that continuum. And we'll only do that when we hunger after God. When we hunger after Jesus. When it's not about what He can do for us, but it's about knowing Him. The most spiritually hungry people I know are people actually who don't have a lot often, who actually life has been really hard and cruel to. And they found a way of moving past the hand of God to pursue the heart of God. That's awesome, isn't it? Absolutely awesome. And the fourth thing I want to say is that spiritually hungry people will want to give God their best and not their leftovers. It says in Malachi verse one, verse, chapter 1 verse 8, it talks about offering sacrifices in the Old Testament thing. We don't have to do this now. But it says, you know, you offer blind animals for sacrifice. Is that not wrong? You offer um, lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? One of the translations of that word wrong is evil. <laughs> yeah, and the translators have kind of worked on that and, um, to kind of soften it up a little bit. But actually, what it really should have said, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, it's evil. So when we offer God our leftovers, not our best, it's not because of busyness. The Bible says it's evil. It's wrong. And God has given his best for us. We give him our leftovers. Come on. Spiritually hungry people don't want to give God their leftovers. They want to give God their best. And the fifth thing is that spiritually hungry people want Jesus more than anyone or anything else. You know, if you want his gifts without wanting him, you cheat yourself out of the best portion. If you want his gifts without wanting him, you're cheating yourself out of the best portion. I want to read something, and I know this is challenging now. I want to read something which is totally, totally really challenging me. And I don't know how I'd answer this, if I'm honest. Well, I know how I want to answer it. John Piper, again another writer, he writes this, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this, if you could have heaven, listen to this, if you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, with all the food you liked, all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there. That's interesting, isn't it? If you imagine heaven with all of that, but take Christ out, would that be okay? Because if it is, we're not hungry for Christ, are we? But actually to say, do you know what? I see Moses in Exodus 33. Moses learned this whole lesson. He turned away in the bushes, as Rachel read earlier on, by Exodus 33. You know, he said, listen, if we're going to get into the promised land, you've got to go with us. 
And then, and then God said, I'm going to go with you. My presence will go with you. And, God said, and Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. We'd rather be in the desert with you than in the promised land without you, is what he was saying. And I, I wonder if I've said to you, do you know what? Every dream you want for your finances and your family and your health, you can have that, but you have that and you don't have Christ, what would you do? And the challenge to spiritual hunger is do we hunger and thirst after God? We want to know Him. Not just His hand, but we want to know His heart. So do you know Him this morning? Do you know Him? I don't mean do you know about Him and have you got a book on the shelf? I mean do you know Him? Are you in relationship with Him? Do you want Him more than anything else? I can't give you that. Nobody can give you that. Only God. And just before we take communion, I want you to watch and listen to something and You've heard this many times before, but you probably haven't seen it with these visuals. But many years ago, um, at, at a meeting, someone asked uh, an old black Pentecostal preacher to get up and pray. And uh, in his own kind of words, he tried to describe his relationship with God, described, tried to describe who Jesus was. And it's off the cuff. It's made up. And there's a phrase in it that says, he's indescribable, but this guy does a pretty good job of describing it. And as you listen to this and see these words and hear these images and see these images and hear these words again, just let the Holy Spirit really draw you. Say, God, I want to know you. Jesus, I want to know you. I'm hungry for the bread of life. It's called, do you know him? So do you know him? Mark, can you come back? Do you know him today? Do you really know him? Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for Jesus? You know, for me, if, I'm, if you're not hungry, you know sometimes when someone offers you food and you're just not hungry, do you know that? If you're not hungry, you're not hungry, are you? <laughs> and so actually, I know that some of you today, you're not hungry. You're not spiritually hungry. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but you're not spiritually hungry in a way that I've tried to describe. But I wonder if some of you want to be hungry. I wonder if some of you say, actually, I'm not spiritually hungry, but I really want to be. How do you become spiritually hungry? Well, one of the ways I think you become spiritually hungry is when you remind yourself and you live in the truth that God is hungry for you. Because for me, my times of greatest spiritual hunger have actually not come out of my times of desperation and crisis, but actually have come out of my times when I've just been so full with the love of God and thought, God loves me so much and is so hungry to get to know me. And that awakens that sense of spiritual hunger. Listen to what Paul says. In Ephesians chapter 1, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before He made the world, God loved us. God loved us. And He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance, listen to this, to adopt us into His own family. In other words, we were not an accident. We were not unplanned. We were not an unplanned pregnancy because we are adopted. Which means that God has chosen us to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what He wanted to do and it gave Him great pleasure. I I grew up as a Christian always believing that God loved me because He had to. Because it was in the job description. And actually when I realised that God loves me, not because he has to, but because he wants to, blew my mind. And if you want to be spiritually hungry, let God fill you and flood you with his hunger for you and with his love for you. Why don't we just pray for a moment? Let's close our eyes.
Jesus. Start of our series, I want to say, God loves you. God is hungry for relationship with you. And you may say, do you know what? I don't know God at all. Perhaps you've never accepted him. You've never asked Jesus to come into your life. And when I did those four people there, you, you were like, yeah, that's me. I'm exploring Christianity and that's you. you. You today could invite him into your life. But it may be that you've done that and you're on that journey, but actually you've got stuck or you've stalled somewhere on that process. And your spiritual hunger has dropped down. And you want to say, I want to be hungry for you again. So whoever you are, if you want to say, I want to be hungry to know him, I want to know him more, would you stand with me and I want to pray for you. Whoever you are, if you will say, I want to know him more, not his hand, but his heart. And he will give us stuff and we'll look at that next week in the miraculous. But if you this morning, you want to say, I want to be hungry for God. I want to be hungry to know him. Just stand with me and I want to pray for you. Jesus. Lord, we come to you because you have the words of eternal life. We come to you because you are the bread. You are the bread that satisfies. And Lord, we ask that God, that over these next few weeks, that Lord, I pray for an increase in our spiritual hunger. God, I pray that as you remind us again of how much you love us, your hunger for us, God, I pray that that would awaken within us a hunger for you. And Lord, I pray that even as we five a day, You know, even if we take time on our own and take responsibility for our spiritual life, God, I pray that that in itself would awaken again that hunger for you, a hunger to know you and to be known by you. Lord, I pray for all these folks standing. Lord, I just pray that this next few weeks would just be an explosion in hunger. And that, Lord, out of that hunger that we would be satisfied. And then, Lord, that creates more hunger to know you even more. And Lord, I pray that for some of us who have been looking in the wrong fridges, God, I pray that we shut those fridge doors and that we turn to you. We turn to you. We come to you because only you have the words of eternal life. God, I want to pray right now for people that we know, maybe even people in this room, who have somehow gone from grumbling to arguing to almost quitting because it seems too hard to follow you. Perhaps they got disappointed or disillusioned. You didn't answer the prayer that they prayed in the way that they wanted you to. God, I want to pray that you'd reawaken in them a spiritual hunger after you. Lord, there's nowhere else we can go. It's insanity to run away from you and expect for our hunger to be satisfied. So Lord, we choose to run to you. We choose to step towards you. God, we choose to be hungry for you.